Let us pray. Most holy God, we give you thanks for your word that you've given to us this day, the word from your holy scriptures, and most of all, your living word in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, that your gospel be faithfully proclaimed and received and taken into this world as we are sent forth, as you send us forth at the end of this time to serve and to witness to you in your world, that others would see the light of Christ in each of us. We pray this in your holy name, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, thanks for the privilege of uh, preaching this morning. Uh, this is good practice for my new ministry as pastor of Trinity United Methodist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that begins in July of this year. I've been out of practice. Um, so um, I, I appreciate this opportunity to get back into the rhythm of preparing to preach and then to, to deliver the sermon. Um, your pastor, my good friend Bill, um, who I enjoyed riding with him the last few days, um, but you need to keep an eye on this guy. I discovered um, he's developed a new tick um, that when you come to an intersection and he says to turn left, he actually means right. <laughs> I think he's getting better. He's, um, but. He's the guy who I have just discovered. He doesn't know his left from his right. Um, but he's a good friend, and he ge very generously invited me to be here months before we knew what the, the changes that were coming. Um, and I'm happy to keep this commitment. I think your pastor is a prophet. He's one who is open to the Holy Spirit and speaks truth, helping to move us into God's future. Typically, when I'm invited to preach, the inviting pastor asks me what scripture lessons I'd preferred to preach from, but not Bill. He gave me an assignment. He said, Steve, I want you to preach on Acts 10, verses 34 to 48, because I guess you're in a series here, and, and Acts is what you preach on in Easter. Easter season is a good time to dive into the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives and witness of the followers of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. It's the story of how the church grew and spread in the years immediately after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Acts tells us how God was able to use a group of basically nobodies, fishermen, tax collectors, ordinary working class people, uneducated men and women, people to build a movement centered on Jesus Christ and the pursuit of holiness of heart and life that spread across the world. 
John Wesley modeled the Methodist movement he led on the works of the Holy Spirit revealed in the Acts of the Apostle. And I just noticed he's looking down on me right now. That's, that's very appropriate. You got Wesley looking down on you as you're preaching. That's right. You know, in 2003, which was the 300th year celebration of Wesley's birth, John Wesley's birth, Charles was five years later in 2007, and at Christ Church College, the their college that they attended at Oxford University, the leaders of the university in honor of Wesley, who was one of their alums and his brother Charles, they placed a plaque in the floor of the cathedral at Christ Church. Anyone know where they placed it? I know someone knows where they placed it, Sandy. No, you step on it. <laughs> it's right at the base of the pulpit, which is a very appropriate place to put and to honor Wesley. But Peter's message is stated in his opening line of today's scripture lesson, where he says to a group of Gentiles, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He comes to this understanding after his experience in the house and the home of Cornelius, a Gentile who fears God and does what is right. Cornelius is a Roman centurion who is known among the Jewish community in Caesarea as a righteous man. Peter, as a Jew, would not ordinarily accept the invitation to go into the home of a Gentile. Doing so would make him ritually unclean. But God prepared him for this meeting by giving Peter a vision in which God demonstrated to Peter that he is the creator of all creation. God told Peter three times, what God, what I have made clean, you must not call profane. From this experience, God ex helped Peter understand that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, not only the Jews. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Jews and the Gentiles and all of creation. This is why Peter declared to his Gentile audience, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That is a radical statement. It summarizes the good news revealed in and by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. The power in Jesus is the love of God. Self-giving, self-emptying love in Jesus is the power of God that overcomes the powers of sin and death. This power is revealed in Jesus' life and work, described by Peter and recounted in the prayer of great thanksgiving that we will hear in a few moments. 
Blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. This love is given by God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to all people. And all means all. No exceptions. God shows no partiality. God loves people who love God, and God loves people who hate God, who worship other gods, who hate people who love God. God loves straight and gay, lesbian and transgender and queer. God loves Republicans and even Democrats. God loves conservatives, liberals, progressives, all alike, with no exception. God shows no partiality in spite of all of our efforts to control and limit who God loves. Scripture is very clear. God's love is given freely to all. God is at work in the world and in people's lives in ways we cannot know or understand. Peter learned that God was at work in Cornelius and the people in his family and circle of influence before he even showed up. The Holy Spirit was already there. God shows no partiality. That is what we call, as Methodists, prevenient grace. Now that is where we North American Christians like to leave it, however. God shows no partiality. God's love is for everyone. All are welcome, and that is very true. All people are welcome in God's kingdom. But when we accept God's invitation and cross the threshold into God's realm, we enter into a relationship with God in the person of Jesus Christ. Relationships require response, participation, and cooperation. It's not a one-sided relationship. The grace God gives so freely to us in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that enables us to accept God's acceptance also makes it possible for us to respond. We love, as scripture says, we love because God first loved us. Our response is the same as Peter's and other disciples. We witness to Jesus Christ in the world and follow his teachings guided by the Holy Spirit. We obey Jesus. Methodism was developed by John and Charles Wesley as a practical way to follow Jesus' teachings, to respond to God's initiative in our lives, and to live out this relationship that God wants to have with each and every one of us. John defined the Methodists as a people who profess to pursue holiness of heart and life. 
They met weekly in small groups to provoke one another to love, holy tempers, and good works. The goal was to do all in their power to help one another grow in holiness of heart and life, to help one another grow in faith, confirm their hope in Christ, and perfect one another in love. John Wesley defined holiness of heart and life as obedience to Jesus' teachings summarized by him in the Great Commandments in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, where Jesus said, you shall love, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And his response, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Holiness of heart and life is Holiness of heart, Wesley says, is the inner love of God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Peter refers to this when he says, God accepts anyone who fears him. The fear of God is the love of God. The fear of God is loving God with all of your being. Because when we truly love someone, we fear disappointing and letting them down. We want to do everything. We want to give ourselves fully and totally to that person in order to become like that person. It is fear that comes from deep respect and reverence. Holiness of life is the outward love of who God loves, loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving who God loves is what Peter means by doing right. Jesus describes what Peter means in Matthew 25, verses 35 to 36, in that parable that we all know where Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the people asked, when did we do all this for you, Lord? And he said, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. The good news Jesus and Peter proclaimed is God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When Peter proclaimed that good news to the people, when he summarized to them what God has done for them and for all the world in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit broke in and interrupted his sermon. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of those people. And they began to speak in tongues and to praise God. And Peter stopped and said, what can withhold the water? Who can withhold the waters of baptism for these? Peter made sure that all of them were baptized because he knew none of them could live as citizens of God's kingdom on their own. 
For them to grow in holiness of heart and life, they needed the mutual support and accountability the church promises in baptism. Actually, what God promises in baptism. Being baptized is like a marriage. Have you ever thought about it like that? That just came to me this week, and I, I think I'm right, that baptism, the baptismal covenant is just like the marriage covenant. Marriage is a covenant of love, commitment, and fidelity. In the covenant, each partner promises love and devotion to one another until they are parted by death. You can't be unbaptized. The sign and mark of marriage, typically, of the marriage covenant, is a ring. This ring marks me as Gina's husband. And it says to the world, I am no longer available to anyone else. She is my wife. I am loyal to her. This is the mark of my covenant with her. And she wears one that marks her covenant with me with God among us. Baptism is a similar covenant. In it, we promise love, commitment, and fidelity to the triune God and to his church. We renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin. We accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, put our whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as Lord in union with his church, which he has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And according to the grace given to us, we serve as Christ's representatives in the world. Water and the cross are the sign that mark us as baptized followers of Jesus Christ. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving whom God loves as God loves them is the mark and sign of baptism. Now water, is something in this world that, well, it's not so ubiquitous here, is it? It's <laughs> but it's still around. And you use it probably every morning. You know, whenever we splash water on our face, we need, you know, what I recommend is remember that you are baptized. Baptism marks us as citizens of God's kingdom. The baptismal covenant is a guide to living in the world as citizens of God's kingdom. We promise to help one another live as citizens of God's reign when we witness to Jesus Christ in the world and follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is known as the general rule of discipleship. It is a practical guide for living the Christian life, for keeping our baptismal covenant. So the way the world knows that we are baptized is when they are able to see in you a glimpse of Jesus by the way you love, by the way you 
Respond to strangers that encounter you on the street, at, your, at the job, in the school, wherever you are. By the way you treat your spouse and your children, your friends, the members of this congregation. When the world sees the way you love, they get a glimpse of the one to whom you have given your life, who gave his life for you. That is the mark of our, that we are baptized. So I'd invite you to look in your hymnal on page 35, and you will find there the promises that we as a congregation <coughs> make to one another in the baptismal covenant. When we say, when the pastor, when your pastor says to the congregation, will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care, the congregation responds by making three promises. And the purpose of those promises is to help the, the actually all of us to keep the promises that we have just made, which you'll find on page 34 of the hymnal in the baptismal covenant that I just summarized a, few, a minute ago. With God's help, join me, with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>